everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, three agency loving, not Griner? <laughs> three letter agency loving, did I say letter? I forget. Nailed it. On today's episode, we've got quite a bit of news coming from the FBI on new uh, activities and organizations, uh, as well as a really interesting cryptocurrency hack. Uh, more interesting than the run-of-the-mill ones we've been discussing over the past few weeks or so. So with that, and for time's sake, let's go ahead and transact on it. <laughs> there you go. That, Man, that was a that was a real I liked it. That was push. a new and different one. Good job. <laughs> we weren't just bouncing or sauntering or... As a bit of a stretch. When are we going to teleport on in or phase Sunday. on in? Star Trek reference. Insert one here. Future is not ready yet, though. So this week, let's start with a quick chat about a update from our favorite three-letter agency. Is this our favorite? I don't know. I, I feel like the FBI probably is our favorite. The NSA, you know, they don't like to share their secrets with us, so a little less happy with them, I suppose. But uh, just this last week, the U.S. Dep uh, Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, announced the Department of Justice is going to form the Virtual Asset Exploitation Team. Uh, or acronym being VAXU, which pausing for a second, I feel like there's a sizable portion of this country that is going to be against a federal department called VAXU. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I immediately think something other than cryptocurrency units or what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, this new unit within the FBI is going to focus on investigating cryptocurrency crimes and ransomware profits. Uh, it's going to become a part of the National Cryptocurrency Enforcement Team, which is an existing division of the U.S. Justice Department. Uh, so as part of her announcement, Monaco said, <clears throat> ransomware. Oh, I guess it's a lady, so maybe I should not use a, a mainly voice, but I don't know. Use your <laughs> imagination. Uh, ransomware and digital extortion, like many other crimes fueled by cryptocurrency, only work if the bad guys get paid, which means we have to bust their business model. Uh, the cryptocurrency might be virtual. One hundred percent agree. I love the it. cryptocurrency. Keep speaking, Monaco. <laughs> might be virtual, but the message to companies is concrete: if you report to us, we can follow the money and not only help you, but will hopefully prevent the next victim. So, like you just said, I like this message and agree with it a hundred percent. And I feel like the FBI has consistently been on board with don't pay the cyber criminals, at least in the. Uh, the recent term which is great because really like i think we've mentioned this in like the last podcast even of how the heck do we stop ransomware and really boils down to make it not profitable so don't pay them or in the case of our fbi friends go take the money back i mean don't don't get us wrong you should have security technical security protections that pr protect you but there's never going to be a 100 percent solution to ransomware or any other thing like even if you have full technical solutions, your user could bring in a USB key that has it. And that's why really the only way to make the malware ineffective for criminals is take away their money. The only reason they're doing this is to make money. If they don't, there's no point. They'll have to find some other way to try to make money from criminal activity. Yeah, and even before this brand new formation of this task force, like the FBI has actually been doing pretty good at getting money back 
from these cyber criminals. Like there's been, there was that big oh, yeah. one we talked about last week with the 94,000 Bitcoins that they were able to get from the Bitfinex breach. Uh, there was, they got $2.3 million back from the Colonial Pipeline ransom, $6.1 million of extortion funds from Our Evil, uh, who were responsible for Kaseya at the end of last year. And then a billion back in 2020 from uh, Ross Ulbrich, the Silk Road Marketplace founder. So they've had some, like either through court. They have great yeah, success. Either through yeah. like court orders, getting it willingly, like willingly via court order for them, or from just tracking down exactly where the cryptocurrency is ending up and then somehow getting the private key or going with exchanges and getting it from there. Like they've, they've obviously had a lot of success and it, I like that they are forming a specialized group specifically for this as well too it really it's getting the focus that it needs in this day and age uh because like unfortunately it seems like every single at least digital cyber crime these days that ends in some form of extortion it's all cryptocurrency and then as we've been discussing over the last month these attacks and exploits against cryptocurrency or blockchain related tools that end up in stolen crypto are obviously going up and here to stay as well too. So well, it's yeah, pretty cool to see it. And it's not related to this new unit, which is all about following the profit centers, which is usually cryptocurrency for ransomware. But even in some of the ransomware protection too, I mean, recently with the Kaseya attack, we know that uh, while there's another third party involved, the government was also involved in getting the private keys that helped restore the data, not just uh, any sort of losses. So. Uh, it's really nice to see agencies, policing agencies around the world catch up with cybercrime. Not not that they've been far behind, but I think we all know there's been a, a few decades where whether it's your local police, whether it's the federal police in whatever country you're in, that they're fantastic at following money. They have like these smart accountants. There's we, we talked about this, I think, last time. There's ways to hide transactions with physical money bouncing all over offshore accounts. And this is the same thing, just in a new digital way. Uh, so I, I, I'm impressed by their cyber teams lately. They seem to be doing a lot more catching. And that's not how it felt five, five years ago. It felt like uh, we knew threat actors were out there, might even know where they were, but there's a little that could be done about it. Yeah. So honestly, like... I think we've talked about it a few times, but how do you think the FBI is actually tracking down these cryptocurrencies? Because, like, I guess one of the misnomers that we've cleared up a few times, but maybe folks haven't heard, is that, you know, blockchain or cryptocurrency is not anonymous in that you can see every single transaction that goes on the blockchain. It's fully public. Now, I mean, that said, the owners of wallets are entirely anonymous, but eventually they do have to cash out some way or another. And that's generally been how the FBI tracks down at least the bulk of these folks. Like uh, they're most, I, mean, I guess every single exchange that operates within the U.S. legally, and that's even like foreign ones that allow U.S. citizens to work with it. They have, actually have to follow with a lot of uh, FinEx or f what is it? FinCEN rules, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network rules, basically reporting anything over $10,000, verifying the identity of uh, participants. But that said, that is just exchanges that operate with U.S. citizens legally. There are still plenty out there that are outside U.S.'s jurisdiction that don't technically allow U.S. folks. But, you know, obviously cyber criminals aren't opposed to stealing identities to open up accounts through some of these as well. But like if they if they end up at one of these exchanges, that's the easy way, I guess, 
of law enforcement tracking him down. But in the case of some of these, like the are evil threat actors, like I guess sometimes it seems like they've maybe monitored their communications and stolen wallet keys out of like the comms or compromised one of their servers and stolen the wallet keys out of there. Like it seems like they do have quite a few different ways of getting access to wallets once the funds are in there. And then, I mean, I think at this point, it's pretty obvious that it's actually really difficult to launder money successfully uh, on the blockchain. Like there are things like tumblers that supposedly bunch up your transaction with a bunch of others and make it difficult to trace. Even those don't seem good enough anymore. Like there's been plenty of instances where they've yeah. gotten past. Anything them. you can alg- algorithm, if it's if it's immutable and every every transaction is on the ledger, tumbling's like a waste of time. The value of tumbling was the the bad guys automated going through many many different wallets to obscure. It, it, you could still trace every one, but they automated the tumbling. I think what the FBI's FinCEN folks have figured out is how to automate the following too, right? Who cares how much you can tumble if we? they've also automated the tracking from transaction from wallet to wallet. You get a computer to do it and beep, <laughs> it goes through <laughs> 20,000 wallets. That's okay. The computer can all follow all 20,000 because they're all going to be on the ledger. So I, I think it's all a matter of catching up, right? The bad guys have automated some of their laundering techniques. It's just like how they did it with physical money, right? Casinos would launder money. And at the beginning, it was a great way to do it. But then eventually, uh, the you know financial officers and agencies started to realize how to track that and they automated their side so it feels like that that cat and mouse game bad guys find two new techniques to obscure things and the good guys just have to 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 catch up and automate it on their side so that's cool that is very cool as far as how they get the wallet key though that's that's interesting who knows if they're getting the key from communications and bad opsec from the threat actor or are using any sort of red team capabilities that they have which is by the way love the ends but that gets a little scary right because i'm happy the fbi is hacking people to get private keys to wallets but if they're criminals but anyone that has that capability could do that to anyone so that just is that does bring up the question when do these weaponized exploits if if that by the way, I don't know, and I don't think you know if that's what they're really doing. But if there are weaponized exploits, I think the whole audience knows we get a little scared about even the good guys using vulnerabilities that that vendors don't know about. Uh, I, I know the government has vulnerability equity process to kind of balance and check that, but it it, it does get into the gray territory that I'm not always comfortable. And it seems with. like they're even getting good at following laundering attempts that go like cross blockchain. Like there's a lot of these DeFi distributed finance exchanges where it's basically a contract, a smart contract where you can hop from one cryptocurrency to another without like interacting with any human at all. And even those like they're able to follow again. Now the funds distributed from the the other blockchain uh, and where they go about and stuff. So like it's it's been interesting following this of them getting better and better at hunting down a lot of these transactions. I also wonder if they can find ways to block the physical. Like uh, I assume they're recovering the cryptocurrency version of these transactions, but we already know, for instance, one of the things U.S. can do is 
do sanctions that put pressure on international banks where, say, Russia, who has their money in a physical bank, suddenly the bank blocks them from accessing it because of a sanction. They can actually cut you off of your funds. Uh, and, and they seem to, at least in partnership with other countries, being able to do that to certain banks. So sometimes I wonder if maybe the cryptocurrency, like if it's ever cashed out, another mechanism may be for them to find the bank it's at and then use legal maneuvering to make it so those funds aren't accessible by the whatever criminal is getting to it. But anyway, it's fascinating. Well above my... I, I'm happy to talk about the technical hacking stuff, but this FinCEN stuff is definitely not something I follow every yeah, day. It's still, it's cool seeing this kind of evolve in real time. Like cryptocurrency, it's been around for a bit now, um, but it seems like, like right now, this like last few years, it's finally been getting a lot of attention from law enforcement and also like regulatory agencies as well. Like I feel like the SEC is constantly rewriting rules on cryptocurrency transactions and what constitutes a security and requires more regulation and oversight so i wonder if it makes people think the rethink the idea of decentralized currency i know that a lot of people think regulation is bad but regulation is also like yes i get the dream of the original cryptocurrency was getting regulation out of it but that's what makes it so easy to use maliciously as well it's so, not even that but like food for thought cryptocurrency like it's it's still kind of mind-boggling to me that a simple mistake can potentially cause you to lose permanently with no way of getting it back millions of dollars like if you fat finger a wallet address there is no do-over on that one but with like a bank transaction yeah yeah like yeah. you have minutes or hours to cancel a transaction and do it again correctly it's not just like that's one and point. done sorry but i figure over time we will fix those with technical things like for instance the app doesn't do the transaction immediately and checks for you uh so i i, I will give cryptocurrency there or any digital currency the benefit of the doubt that you can probably come up with one that technically is decent one day i just i think this idea of it not being regulated <laughs> uh, being a benefit largely for society rather than a detriment might be what I question. I can see why libertarian, uh, there are benefits to decentralized currency and not having certain people that, you know, being able to take advantage. But on the flip side, it also offers a criminal element that I don't think it, every criminal will go to any decentralized currency like a flies to honey or whatever like flies to honey bees to honey i guess <laughs> i flies are to poop bees to honey i guess i screwed that i one feel up. like the the other one there might have been more apt to cryptocurrency <laughs> flies or to poop <laughs> <laughs> anyways so uh not the only fbi uh story we have today though uh, maybe that's why they're your favorite the nsa is just not the favorite this week because they haven't shown up in all the news probably just as recency bias now that i think about it as i'm reading these uh these articles for interesting news stories uh so second story though from the fbi the internet crimes complaint center the ic3 center published alert i 02162 psa last week can we still make fun of them for their easy to remember obvious alert numbers you're awesome fbi i mean <laughs> but, yeah i think we made fun of cisa last time but at least theirs is only like four numbers long and i mean i guess you know all things considered six numbers you, you can copy something. paste it yeah. if you if you really want to it's better than like a for a technical this is perfect i mean it's, it's if you're a robot this is a hundred percent understandable and logical yep, exactly anyways 
So the IC3 published an alert last week highlighting virtual meeting platforms as an increasing vector for business email compromise uh, activity over the last three years. Um, so the IC3, I think we actually went over their last like... By the way, that that acronym has really hit. So if you ever see BEC, B-E-C, that is business email compromise. It's, uh, I guess it's people have said it for a few years, but I, it, to me, I just see it so much more now. So it's has become the new acronym of the day in security, in yep. my opinion. And you may remember it was probably halfway through last year. Um, the IC3 published their annual like report on basically all those complaints that they received. Uh, where they categorize a bunch of these different styles of threats and business email compromises, typically one of the larger threats in terms of monetary losses. And it traditionally encompasses basically someone gained access to your corporate email, like it says, and then use that to do some sort of fraudulent activity within your organization, uh, typically resulting in money loss. Um, so since 2019, they've seen an increase in attackers using these virtual meeting platforms uh, to trick victims into sending unauthorized transfers of funds to fraudulent accounts. And in their alert, they highlighted a few different ways. And one of them is what I feel like we're going to talk about quite a bit. And that's this first one, which is uh, compromising an employer or financial director's email, and then using that to request an employee to participate in a virtual meeting where the attacker inserts a still picture of the executive. So instead of video, just a picture of Corey or precaution there, uh, with either no audio or using deep fake audio and then claiming their audio is not working properly. Liar bird. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of a prediction we made. Like we had, I, I think it was a prediction related more to automatic chatbots popping up, but the, when we talked about how they could be tied to deep fake video and audio. So what seemed like science fiction three years ago is exceedingly turning closer and closer to reality. Kind of concerning. Yeah. And by the way, I'm sure everyone listening knows, but deep fake audio is machine learning generated language. It's either liar bird or bird liar, but for audio, I think there's a version of it that just needs the the person you're trying to fake to say 60 or so words, and I think they can even be random words now, and just based on that, they can like fake Obama's voice or whoever. Uh, so deep fake technology is getting better and better. I won't spoil anything. But if anyone's watching the book of Boba Fett, uh, there's some later on episodes that has one of the most impressive deepfakes. I, I, I feel it's mostly deepfake technology that they use for it that I've seen. Nice. It still has an uncanny valley, but it's pretty impressive. And so they're using this to basically trick victims into initiating fund transfers, uh, either through that chat or through a follow-up email. Like you can, I, I feel like, like as I read this, from like a watch guard perspective as our own organization, I feel like we probably wouldn't fall for something like this, but you could imagine a smaller organization This one, where not. you see like, you no. know, a chat from your CEO pop up and, you know, it sounds kind of like them and the voice chat, they just say, hey, need you to, to wire these funds here for this contract or whatever. Like, you know, if you don't already have established uh, like processes. I, I will say, yeah. The the key part about this, though, I, I think the funds transfer, I think we're going to talk about another one, and that might be a different story. But the key thing here is that the business email compromise or the BEC has allowed them to gain access to an internal platform, for instance. So, and so they're accessing it with the real user. I would almost say if they didn't try to fake the audio or the picture, but use just chat from a executive's account because the business email compromise allows them to directly chat from that person and 
and teams or whatever, people would fall for some of it. Uh, the funds transfer, I, I feel like it's probably even in even though it's coming from your internal Teams chat with no deep fake attached, that might trigger some warnings because how often does Prakash or even unless you're in the accounting team, it's probably an unusual way. But other things that showed up. I in mean, chat? clearly this works though. So yeah, yeah, it, it's it works for some. There must be like some organizations that don't have a process that maybe this is like ad hoc wire money here through a chat message kind of could thing. be like like fish or even spam, right? They only need 1% of 1% to return it for it to be effective. I, I, I we'll get to it later, but I think there's another version of that that I think is is compelling too. I, I could see why that one might work more, though even that yep. is unusual. So this is the first way. Another one they said they were seeing compromised employee emails used to insert themselves into workplace meetings and collect information on day-to-day -day operations. So basically using it as like a a bug in the room to listen to how meetings operate, find more information about the organization to potentially help future fishes as well. And then compromising an executive's email to send spoofed messages to employees, instructing them to initiate transfers of funds as they claim to be occupied in a virtual meeting or unable to initiate the transfer on their own computer. Um, that one, I feel like it's a bit of a stretch. Yes, it is, you know, parallel related to uh, virtual meetings just by mentioning them, but like the biggest one for this me was the whole deep fake audio thing. That's like, like you said, it was a prediction we had and it's interesting seeing this like actually show up it's in reports to the FBI. But here's the, the, the funny thing with that one is let's suppose the deep fake is perfect and it really sounds like it. The fact that you get a little half audio message claiming the audio is not working, right. <laughs> it's, it, it's just... It's almost the the te the technique they're using that would fail that more than the deep fake quality itself. But yeah, like you say, all of these three are ones that probably work some of the time, unfortunately, but they should be relatively easy all to catch with best practice. I would be more concerned about the the business email compromise that actually gave them the privilege to insert themselves in workplace meetings in the yep. first and place. And the FBI gave some suggestions for those best practices, like things from... You know, make sure that the the video chat or meeting chats coming from a platform that your organization typically uses. So if you're like a Microsoft Teams shop and suddenly this comes from Zoom, that should be a red flag. Using secondary channels for two-factor authentication to verify requests. And they mean in this case, like not, you know, enter in a token two-factor, but pick up the phone and call the actual person's cell phone or desk phone to be like, hey, do you really want me to wire $2 million to this account? Uh, basic phishing protections, like making sure the URL and emails matches the business, looking for spelling mistakes. Uh, don't send uh, login credentials or any PII over any sort to emails because in general, emails are unencrypted. Uh, verify the sender of email addresses. Um, if you are in the IT team, make sure that the settings on your employees' computers are enabled to allow full email extensions to be viewed to help them spot some of these potential phishes. And then, you know, monitor personal financial accounts and business financial accounts on a regular basis to look for irregularities. Um, and they kind of ended the report or the alert with a call to action of if you are a victim, regardless of the amount lost, file a complaint with the IC3 because it helps them track this uh, threat actor activity across the entire country. Um, and I guess they actually work with international organizations as well. So it allows them to track it across the entire world and potentially help protect against uh, other people getting hit. Uh, and you mentioned, Corey, that like this is just one type of 
meeting uh, chat hacking, I guess. Um, there was actually another story that popped up around the same time where researchers at Avana published an article about threat actors using Microsoft Teams specifically to distribute a remote access Trojan they, were, they found. Basically, they would compromise an employee's uh, email account and then use that to send chat messages with this executable attachment called, uh, what is it, user-centric in the chat, which, like all things considered, it ends up being a pretty, from my opinion, obvious and easy to spot Trojan in this case, where it literally just uses the Windows installer to install this Trojan on your computer if you run it. Um, I hope a lot of users aren't installing random executables they get from Teams messages, but... You know, that said, but that's that's that that's my question. You know, you Mark, like uh, if this were a random executable from an email, an external email, gosh, I hope even my grandma wouldn't do it. But if this is an executable from an internal Teams account, uh, like if you're an accountant and a, I, I got it from uh, a marketing person, I'd be like, why the heck are you sending me an executable? But let's say in engineering or support or any technical things, we might actually be sharing executables here and there. Uh, it, it still is, I think, unusual enough that like I don't get exes every day for sure in Teams, very rarely. But there have been some cases. So I do think the internal access, I, I still hope people don't just run unsolicited ex executables. But an internal Teams account, I mean, you usually trust, I, I, is my feeling. Uh, I don't think, you know, you can spoof emails if they don't have DMARC. Maybe you can even spoof an email from the legitimate address, but you shouldn't be able to spoof teams. And that's why this requires some sort of that, that email portion of the compromise in order for them to be it, be there. And the fact that you have to be an insider to do this, or they, they have to get enough privilege to do this, we do sometimes, by we I mean humans, if we're getting something from Teams from another employee, we assume it's probably okay. So to me, it's a little worse. It, 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 I do think more people would fall for it than exing a normal email. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I guess like another good uh, way to kind of solve this issue or else make it more difficult for the attacker is make sure you're using multi-factor authentication. Absolutely. That way, like even if your credential gets stolen, they can't just hop onto Teams and start messaging your coworkers. That is And then yep. specifically with executables and other risky things over messages, this is another great opportunity to pick up a phone and con confirm or shoot an email. I guess if they've already compromised Teams and email, they might be responding to those too. But just go out of your way to make sure that you confirm something before running a random executable you got from a coworker, even if it is a trusted coworker. And I guess you might be able to tell me more, but uh, I think they were mostly compromised accounts, but they, you can, there's ways to make guest Teams accounts so guests can join and there's a possibility you could spoof, meaning making a guest, it's really a guest account, it's not internal, but maybe you spoof it in some way to make it look like an employee. That I do think Teams people should be able to, like, usually external accounts do have guests on them, I think, or something. So definitely pay attention to... Two, like uh, if I've, I've seen Mark in Teams, it should always have the same icon I'm used to. And if I click on it, it should be part of his watch card domain. If I suddenly see a Mark that has a slightly new picture and I click on it and it's a external email generated Teams account, I should probably be suspicious. Yep.
Absolutely. By the way, before now that we were done with both of these, I will say I mentioned for those interested in more about deep fakes, I mentioned Liarbird. Uh, by the way, I believe they are playing on the words liar as an L-I-A-R, but it really is spelled L-Y-R-E bird. And if you Google Liarbird, you'll find it. But know that Liarbird's the name of the AI app. It's not the name of the company you'll find it from. It's, it is a very interesting place where you can upload a little digital sample of your own voice and see how it works for you. Although, of course, you're sharing some data with the, <laughs> whether you want to do that or not. Who makes that app, Corey? I think it's Descript.com is the site that's on, D Descript. Borderline xenophobia, but are they at least an American company for our American listeners? I think so, but if people, I, I forget what social media, but back when there was a video and audio deepfake of Obama that passed everywhere because it was researchers showing you what was possible, I, it was the Liarbird audio that was used. So you're, you're familiar with them. Interesting. All right, yep. I, I, people following social media might have seen some of these deep fakes based on this uh still like you said though fun to play around with and you know just so you can see how it works i have a feel. i don't know i feel like at some point relatively soon this is going to become a much larger problem than it currently is yep. with faked videos and images have you watched boba fett yet Mark? i have not caught to that episode yet so no when I won't say any. Yep, I, no I won't say any spoiler. Good, thank but you. I will say digital actors may be reality in the future. Oh Anyways, moving on to our final topic today, uh, where last week uh, hackers stole 1.9 million dollars in cryptocurrency from a South Korean cryptocurrency platform called ClaySwap after performing a BGP hijack. ClaySwap or Clay? Oh, swap. Never mind. Swap. Oh, yeah, there's an M in there. Anyways, swap is the correct spelling. After performing... I was only asking because if it was Clay Swamp, that's a fantastic name. That's just a hilarious name. The Clay Swamp with an M. But to the interesting part of the story, they stole these almost $2 million in cryptocurrency by doing a BGP hijack against one of the platform's providers. Um, so traditionally, when we see cryptocurrency thefts, it's, you know, they exploit the smart contract or they steal credentials or... They find a vulnerability in the web API that allows them to issue fraudulent API calls. This one, they just straight up stole their IP addresses in order to facilitate this attack. Um, so the attackers used a fictitious autonomous system, so AS number, um, in order to basically advertise ownership of all the IP addresses associated with developers.cacao.com's infrastructure. Um, so Cacao or Cacao Talk, I guess, is their technical name. Um, it's a like communications chat and dev platform, I guess, uh, for a lot of different apps, um, including this clay swap platform and developers.cacao.com hosts the official SDK, the software development kit, uh, which is how third party apps like clay swap integrate with this cacao talk services. So basically the attackers use the BGP hijack to then serve a malicious version of KakaoTalk's JavaScript SDK, um, which included some malicious code to basically intercept any transactions initiated from the ClaySwap's website and a web browser and secretly modify the recipients to a wallet under the attacker's control. So if you as a victim went to ClaySwap.com and tried to send some of your cryptocurrency to your own wallet or to someone else's wallet to pay for something, this malicious JavaScript would get loaded instead of the legitimate SDK for Kakao Talk, and it would 
without you knowing, modify whatever you put in as the wallet address to the attacker and send it to them. And so over the period of two hours, the attackers made off with $1.9 million in various cryptocurrency assets. And interestingly, so they added some additional filters to make it less obvious where only the, the malicious uh, SDK only got displayed for visitors to ClaySwap's website, so not all of Talks users. So that was a lot, but big takeaway from here is now we're seeing people use BGP hijacks to steal cryptocurrency. And I feel like I mean, we had that prediction, what, two years ago now of attackers hold the internet hostage uh, in order to, uh, by using either BGP or DNS vulnerabilities. Uh, but now we're seeing them use it to steal cryptocurrency. That's pretty nuts. Like, Corey, is this the yeah, future of cyber criminal or cyber activity? <laughs> it's not at all our prediction, but it actually meets the theme of our prediction. You know, we had a prediction that the next internet outage will be BGP. And really, as with all predictions, we're basically trying to show you trends in cybersecurity that are big. So it was besides DNS, we keep on, I think the security industry as a whole is keeping on trying to show people that BGP is a very powerful mechanism on the internet that controls a lot of things. So this is, this is scarily cool. Uh, these BGP hijacks we're talking about, it, this, this really specifically highlights the power that any issue with BGP allows you to basically redirect and man in the middle or hijack traffic in ways. So it's not the way I would have imagined BGP hijack. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do by, you know, forcing traffic to go through you or to where you want instead of where it's supposed to. And this is a, a neat way that I haven't imagined. Neat's in a bad way. Neat, neat in a bad way. Like, yeah, and as we're talking about neat in a bad way also, like it's interesting they went didn't go after... Uh, clay swap they went after a service provider that they use basically this like messaging and chat platform that's built into the the cryptocurrency platform itself and so by going after them they were then able to inject this javascript on the site and i mean this is basically a loose translation to you know yet another supply chain attack now this one is like it's it's very difficult to pr uh, protect against this style of attack because it's literally someone stealing your internet address space uh, with fictitious BGP announcements into the the internet backbone. Like it's not like they had a vulnerability in their platform they exploited. It was but they but, just but stole would it. by the way increased use of uh, ASN the the signing. I mean BGP does would increased use of those mechanisms have helped in this case or not really, Mark? I mean in theory, yeah. Uh, but again that only matters if everyone participating verifies that like it yeah it's possible we need we need the industry to do it not just one <laughs> it's possible that, like cacao talk uh or their internet service provider were using some of these but if like every other isp and bgp participant yeah. out there wasn't verifying it yeah it accepts matter. ones that haven't checked the signature. yeah yeah and but again why we push for bgp is critical <laughs> we should be using some sort of digital security to check things are signed in it from the proper people that control that network segment. So the industry, just like everything else, what, what was that other one we talk about for DNS cache point? I mean, if the industry as a whole would, it, would do these best practices, it would protect everyone. And until the industry does, no one's protected, even the first movers. 100%. So anyways, interesting though, seeing that, target cryptocurrency 
Uh, maybe now that the cat's out of the bag, we'll see even more of these styles of attacks going after these high-value targets, too, with the amount of money floating around in crypto these days. What's the takeaway from this one, Corey? Enable good security if you're an internet service provider. Enable these dang protections for BGP because it, it alone isn't enough. Yeah. And if you're not a service provider, just hope for the best yeah i, I mean because like you say if you're not an industry a service provider you can do the right thing as far as bg having the the right signing and no one can be paying attention <laughs> i guess the safest way to protect your crypto is just not have any so there's your <laughs> advice for me hey everyone thanks again for listening as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept, and the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.